the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor. And he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. And now it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, Tampa Bay. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Tampa Bay, heck, Florida, United States, Canada, South America. I'm your international Dr. Bill. And by the way, you can reach me at 860-WGUL.com. That's 860-WGUL.com. Go to our website, click Listen Live, and you got me. And this is interactive radio. As you know, this is a talk radio show, and you can reach me from anywhere in North America at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And if you're local in the Tampa Bay area, 813-289-1860. That's 813-289-1860. And I'll have a couple of questions and a couple of $25 gift certificates to give away as we go through the show. So stay tuned. I have a really nice guy with me today, Dr. Barry Winton. He's a new cardiovascular surgeon who's joining our community. He's gone in with uh, Dufresne, and I forget Dufresne's partner's name. He's uh, Brian. Brian. Uh, Dr. Brian and Dr. Dufresne. And and so Barry has just joined them. He's uh, done several thousand open heart cases. He's done over a thousand carotids and probably a similar number of abdominal aortic aneurysms in the belly and legs and all kinds of vascular stuff. He's originally from Indiana, close to where I live and grew up in Louisville. He went to IU, Indiana University Medical Medical School, and that's in Bloomington, isn't it? Uh, In in Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. Oh, that's right. they the, the university is in Bloomington and the medical schools in Indianapolis. And then he did a cardiovascular surgical fellowship at the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. So, Barry, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you, bud. Thank you. Good morning. And now we can talk a little bit about cardiac surgery. And what is cardiac surgery? It's surgery on the heart. I think that people want to know, first of all, what's the difference between open heart and closed heart? And this is... You know, for us as doctors, we don't even think about this, but people want to know. They're, they're a little bit confused. What's the difference? Do you cut the heart open, or is it just open up the chest to work on the heart? Well, it's, that's a good question because um, it, it is a little uh, misleading. Um, when, when you go in for uh, open heart surgery, um, people think that you're opening their heart. And most, most, most quote-unquote open heart surgery uh, is coronary bypass surgery. Uh, 
you know, where we're bypassing blocked blockages in, in the coronary arteries. And to do that, you actually never open the heart. You open the chest. So you could call it open chest surgery. Um, now, if you are going in to do uh, some work on the, on the heart valves, that would be an open heart procedure. But it's just a matter of uh, semantics. Yeah, it's a matter of semantics. And most people, they think if you go in and you do a, a, a bypass of the arteries in the heart, that that's open heart. And so in the layman's uh, way of thinking, if you've got to open the chest, then that's open heart. But actually, we don't, as physicians, we don't call it open heart unless you open up one of the heart chambers and go in and repair a valve or fix uh, a hole in the heart between the left and the right side of the heart. And remember, the coronary arteries uh, come out of the aorta, the big vessel that takes all the blood out of the left ventricle to the body and comes right off of that, and it stays on the surface of the heart. And then as it goes down and wraps around the heart, the, the blood vessels dive into the muscle itself and uh, get smaller and smaller like a, a branching tree. But heart surgery for coronary or blocked arteries around the heart is done without opening the heart. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of a misnomer when we say, oh, you've had open heart surgery. For us, that means opening the heart, but for the layman, it means opening the chest. So uh, it's, uh, it's just semantics. But now how long does, uh, does an open heart bypass take when you have to bypass blocked arteries around the heart? What's the average time that it takes you to do the procedure? I would say on, on average, um, you know, we do uh, three to five bypasses, and that typically takes about three to four hours. Three to four hours. Now, when you do that, can you do it without stopping the heart and putting somebody on the bypass machine, which is basically an external lung uh, that breathes for them while the heart stopped? You can. You can. Um, the, the very first coronary bypass procedure that was performed back in the 50s uh, was actually done without the use of, of the heart-lung machine because they didn't have um, uh, a heart-lung uh, machine developed at that time. Technology wasn't there yet. Technology wasn't there yet. Uh, but then um, the heart-lung machine was developed, and and, uh, and and it got better and better. And, and so uh, even today, most coronary bypass procedures are performed with the heart stopped using the heart-lung machine to support the, the, the function of the heart and the lungs while the heart is stopped. However, you can um, perform coronary bypass surgery with the heart beating and, and, and without the use of the heart-lung machine. We, we call that off-pump surgery or beating heart surgery. Yeah, and folks, the, the off-pump means that you're not on the bypass, that your heart is perfusing your lungs and your body, and so you don't need that outside uh, lung machine, so to speak. Uh, when we say on pump, we mean that we have put a catheter or a big needle with a tube into the right side of the heart or into the great veins, and then another tube into the aorta, which takes blood out of the heart, or another part of the heart, as may be appropriate, and we actually take the blood from your body and circulate it through this big machine that gets rid of the carbon dioxide and brings in oxygen so that you don't die on the table. You don't want to die on the table, so you got to do that. Off-pump means that it's usually maybe one vessel or two. No, you, you can do just, just as many off-pump as you can on. You can? Okay. 
off pump means that your heart's still beating, and so the surgeon's got to have a good eye and a good hand. Now, do you use any mechanical devices to steady the heart? Because as it beats, it rocks in the chest. You do. Um, interestingly, years ago, uh, before some of the modern technology was developed, um, they would take a fork, cut the inner two prongs out, and use the fork uh, to uh, hold the area of the heart that you're working on still. Wow. Uh, nowadays, we have, uh, obviously, uh, a little better uh, equipment to do that. And it's, um, uh, it's a, for example, one, one device that we use is called the Octopus. It uh, has suction cups. Uh, that um, uh, attached itself to the heart, and then um, and then once you get it positioned where you want it, uh, you, you 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 tighten it down, and then it holds just that one little area adjacent to the coronary artery that you're working on still, while the rest of the heart is still beating and moving. So you just kind of pinch some of the muscle and the blood vessel a little bit and kind right. of hold it still, right. like stabilizing like a tripod kind of thing. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Well, the benefits. Uh, from what I understand of being off the pump, that is not having your blood circulated outside the body, but your own body continues to circulate, is that there's less uh, neurologic problems postoperatively. Have you seen that, or is that is that just a myth? That has not been proven uh, to be true. Okay, uh, good. In, in, in large, large studies. Um, the, you know, the reason that, that off-pump surgery was developed was to avoid the uh, potential complications of being placed on the heart-lung machine, such as bleeding, uh, stroke, uh, kidney failure, lung failure. Um, you know, circulating your, your blood volume throughout the, this, this heart-lung machine for a couple hours is uh, very traumatic. So you can have uh, problems related to that. Therefore, uh, beating heart surgery was developed. Um, but again, it's, it's not a new technique. That's how heart surgery was done initially. It, it, it was just kind of brought back into vogue, okay. let's say. Well, there are surgeons that, that jumped on the bandwagon and, and, and really uh, uh, bought into that and, and, and believed it and, and still do believe it. And, and, and they do a very good job um, doing it that way. Then there are other surgeons, such as myself, um, who don't use that technique. I, I'm, a, I'm a, what I consider a selective user of the beating heart technique. Um, I, I probably use that technique in about 10% of my cases. Uh, nationwide, um, 19% of cases are done uh, with a beating heart. Um, I, I use it in patients that I think would, uh, in particular, benefit from that technique. Yeah. If you're just joining us, folks, we're with Dr. Barry Winton, and we're talking about heart surgery, cardiac bypass surgery, valvular replacements, different things that we do to the heart. And we're talking about on the pump or off the pump, which is a, a little saying that we use in the medical field for whether or not your blood is circulated outside of your body and the heart is completely paralyzed, or whether we're talking about not using that and letting your own body do the work. Don't paralyze the heart, but just secure the part that you're work, working on and try and hold it still. So about 20% of the cases nationally are uh, off the pump, that is the heart's still beating, and the other 80%, uh, the heart is bypassed with some big tubes and the right and left sides of the heart to circulate the blood outside of the heart and bring it back into the body, uh, get rid of the carbon dioxide and pick up the oxygen. 
uh, the different types of surgery that are done by heart surgeons include bypass, like we just talked about, where you bypass blocked vessels in the heart. You go right off of the aorta and bring a, a piece of vein or artery that you've harvested from a limb. Now, do you use more vein grafts or artery grafts? I know a lot of the guys for a while were using the the artery out of the arm. The I believe that's the, the radial. Radial, artery. yeah. The uh, the typical operation in, involves uh, using the left internal mammary artery for the most important bypass. That's an artery that runs right behind the breastbone, uh, and then and then we take vein from one or t- uh, both of the legs for the re- uh, other bypasses. That's uh, that's probably ninety five percent of the of the cases. Now. There are other um, uh, options for bypasses. Uh, you mentioned the radial artery. That's an artery in the arm. Um, we uh, will sometimes use that for a bypass. Um, you can sometimes use the right internal mammary artery for a bypass. Um, you can also use an artery that runs along the bottom of the stomach called a gastroepiploic artery. So there are other options. But for the most part, we use the left internal mammary artery and then vein uh, from the leg. Uh, what we'll do later in the show is we'll see if Dr. Wenton can spell epipoic, and we'll catch him on that. But the internal mammary arteries, mammaries, we know what those are. Those are breast or chest. So it's a very descriptive term that means that artery that feeds the left or the right side of the front of the chest wall. And the internal mammary artery has become the... Uh, the standard for bypass when you're going into the left anterior descending, which is the big artery that's pretty much sticks right out when you go in there and it feeds a big part of the heart. So we like, we like to perfuse that one if it needs it with the mammary artery. Why? Because it'll last longer and it's more natural because you've got an artery going into an artery. Whereas when we do vein grafts, take a vein out of your leg and use that to bypass other vessels, they generally don't last quite as long as the internal mammary. Uh, Why? Well, they're thinner, walled, and they don't handle the increased pressure because they're going from being a vein to an artery. So they get a little cranky after 10 or 15 years, and uh, you may need to have a repeat surgery or uh, an angioplasty where you put a balloon and put a stent in, in one of these from the cardiologist rather than the cardiovascular surgeons. However, the internal mammary rarely gives us a problem. I would think that the places where we see the most problems are in diabetics, uh, people with high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and those who continue to smoke. Yeah, smoking's a, a, a big problem. Well, it's a big problem for the patient, but for you and me, it's business. So, you know, when, when people, when I hear doctors dissing the tobacco industry, I say, dude, yeah. if it wasn't for alcohol and tobacco, you wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't have anything to do. I actually have a cigarette machine in my, in my waiting room. All right. You're my kind of guy. <laughs> Let's go for it. But remember, if you smoke during the show, uh, Chris, it'll cut your feet off and you won't be able to hear me. So no smoking during my show. That's an order from Dr. Bell. All right, so we've we've gotten a little bit about the bypass surgery. Tell me about what kind of valvular surgery you do. What 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 can you do from uh, from a cardiovascular surgeon's point of view? Can you replace any valve you want or repair it? Or yeah, it, pretty much every valve uh, in the heart can be replaced, and um, uh, at least three of them can be repaired. 
Um, it depends on on the uh, you know the specifics of the situation. But for example, uh, the aortic valve, let's say, uh, is the valve that blood exits the body, or excuse me, exits the heart through to get to the body. That valve, um, as we age, in some people, becomes thickened and calcified. And uh, the opening becomes uh, greatly narrowed, and that that puts a, a, a stress on the heart, and it reduces the uh, heart's ability to pump blood to the body. That's a problem called aortic stenosis, and the only treatment for that, for the most part, is to cut it out and replace it. However, uh, a couple years ago, the FDA uh, approved a, a newer uh, valve replacement option, and it's a uh, Perhaps people have heard of it. Uh, we we we, uh, we call it TAVR, transavicular valve replacement, and that's a um, um, uh, a valve that can be placed um, one of a few ways. But but the, the 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 kind of the sexiest, coolest way is is where they are is where the uh, the the, we, the uh, groin and the artery is accessed, just like a cardiologist does a heart catheterization. And the valve is advanced through the artery up into the heart and deployed just like a stent would be deployed. So, the, so it avoids um, the need for um, you know, cracking the chest open and having uh, open heart surgery. Yep. And, folks, th- this, this new valve is pretty cool. There have been some problems with it recently. I think they uh, saw a blurb somewhere that they're holding off on on distributing them further to some, I don't know what it was. I didn't read the whole article, but it's pretty cool. It's like a butterfly on a chrysalis. And then as that chrysalis cracks, the butterfly's wings will open up and it's pretty much like that. And it's got a little, uh, little firm ring that holds it all in place. And you put it right through the valve and you actually crush the native valve, your normal valve that's become very calcified and stiff and you crush it up against the, uh, aortic wall uh, at where it comes out of the heart and it, it's a very nice procedure at, but right now we're reserving it mostly for people who are high risk until we have more experience with this those people who are not a good risk for surgery if you have really bad lungs or you've, you you're very debilitated or you have some other diseases that might make it tough for you to survive surgery uh, we'll try this uh, I don't know what the success rate is. You probably are closer to that than I am, Barry. It's it's really quite good, um, and and uh, having replaced hundreds of these valves uh, uh, surgically, I'm I'm just amazed that it works. Yep. To be honest with you, these these when you when you open aorta and look at these but these valves, um, they're hard as rock. Yep. Heavily calcified. And and the, to think that they can open that with a, a stent, and and actually have it work and stay in place, uh, to me is astonishing. But the the success has been outstanding. Uh, there are downsides, just like uh, everything we do in medicine. Yep. Um, one is stroke. Yep. Uh, another problem um, is uh, leakage uh, around the heart valve. Uh, because the valve doesn't seat up against this this uh, calcification very well, and and what they're finding is that is that, that that actually does um, end up causing significant problems with heart failure and then ultimately death. So, but it's new, it's newer technology, but it's working very very well. It's it's a fantastic option for people that are just too sick 
uh, to undergo conventional uh, aortic valve surgery. And most of those people are going to be elderly, as you guys know, and uh, therefore they're not going to be the people that are out running the the, uh, the mile or the marathon. They're going to be mostly older people who are very debilitated. And even if there is a little bit of leakage, uh, we can accept that if we can open up the valve enough for blood to get out, get into the body, and feed all the other arteries. So it, it's a really good thing, but uh, it's not for everybody. It's it's still reserved for those who would not or could not survive surgery or would have a bad outcome. But it's it's pretty cool to see. I've seen those things deployed, and they're pretty neat. Well, one one thing I, w- I want to mention, you know, the, when the when the first valve was released, it was it was approved only for patients that were um, considered uh, non-surgical candidates. So so patients that were too, that were that were seen by a surgeon and felt uh, to, to be too sick, too old, what have you, to undergo conventional uh, aortic valve replacement surgery. Um, the next rendition, uh, uh, or the next approval from the FDA, was for people considered to be high risk. Now, that has somewhat muddied the waters because if you, if you talk to a patient um, and say, well, or if a patient hears about this option, they, you know, they hear that they can perhaps have a, a valve placed through a little needle stick in their groin. Without opening the chest. Versus yeah. having their chest cracked open. Yeah. You know, they immediately uh, say, well, gosh, that's a no-brainer. You know, I, I want the catheter-based procedure. The problem is that's, all, that's not always the, the, the best uh, option. Um, but... People get fixated on that. They're 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 scared. They they want to do everything they can to avoid having open heart surgery, and so they're they they're willing to uh, to, to to try anything yeah. to avoid it. Sure. And, that, and that's not always uh, in their best interest. And that's a problem I'm running up to nowadays is having to um, um, basically talk people off the edge. You know, um, saying, "Listen, uh, I, I understand you're scared, but this is." much better for you. Yeah, I think so. And, and folks, the aortic valve, you actually don't go into the heart because the valve sits right at the junction of the heart and the aorta. So you can actually approach it from, from above. Uh, and it's not the same as, say, replacing the mitral valve, which sits in the more or less in the wall of the left ventricle, the big pumping chamber. So you have to cut out some tissue there and you can alter the dynamics of the workings of the left ventricle and the heart and uh but the aorta is really pretty easy from from a cardiovascular surgeon's point of view and the pump times much less true you know uh, speaking of the mitral valve um in europe they're now performing uh mitral replacements with this same technology um and you know it, it's it's more difficult uh their success hasn't been as good but but they'll they're getting there so one of these days, uh, we'll, patients will be able to have their valves replaced, um, not not in one hundred percent of the not one hundred percent of the time, but in many cases without open heart surgery. Yeah, the the technology is improving. Uh, the problem with the mitral valve is you can't get to it directly uh, through an, an artery or a vein. You have to go into the right side of the heart through a vein and across the wall that divides the right and left receiving chambers, and so you're transgressing two 
chambers, and then you have to make a, a right-hand turn to get down to it, and it's it's tricky, and it, technically it's going to be tough to learn, and the, the technology is going to have to improve considerably where you can have more of a steerable catheter uh, that can handle a, a big valve like that. The mitral valve, I believe, is a little bit larger than the aortic. It is. Uh, the FDA also just recently um, approved a clip for the mitral valve. So patients that have uh, leaky mitral valves, historically, well, initially medical management, but then uh, if, if, if they need surgery, either repair or replacement, now the FDA has approved a catheter-based procedure where the cardiologist or surgeon or, or, or in conjunction can, can go up, again, through the groin artery and um, place this clip um, where, where they, the clip actually hooks the, the two leaflets together in the middle and just reduces the leakage of the valve. Yep, and if you want to know what the, how the valve works, put your arms out straight with your thumbs up, then uh, bend your fingers towards each other at your first knuckle, and then overlap them a little bit. And you can open and close as they go away from you. And that's how the valve works. Now, you can imagine that if it's an older valve and some of the uh, ligaments and tendons to it are stuck, that one leaflet might stay open a little bit, and so blood can flow back in that way. Or you may have a floppy valve leaflet so that when it does close, one of the leaflets flops back into that chamber, allowing blood to come back in. Now, if it's, uh, if it's stenosed or blocked, then you can imagine that it just won't open much. So you've got a lot of calcium on your fingers, and those fingers don't want to open all the way. So that's how these valves get blocked up or become leaky. And the clip is a really nice way to to do this, and it certainly is a consideration in a number of cases. However, if you have a lot of calcium on the valve, or if you're older and the valve is uh, degenerating, this is not going to work. Uh, you may have to have open heart surgery until we can get this new uh, valve deployed over a catheter released in the United States. You know, this, this, this mitral, it's called the mitral clip. Um, this is an example of what I was talking about just a few minutes ago about how patients need to be careful um, uh, in, in, um, in their desire to avoid open heart surgery. Uh, this clip uh, attaches the, the, the two leaflets together in the middle, reducing some of the leakage. Well, it's, it's based off of a technique that we've done surgically um, for years. Uh, however, it's a technique that surgically doesn't work well. And um, I have only done uh, probably a, a three or four times in my 20-year career uh, because I was never happy with, with its uh, results. So what, what I'm getting at is um, people should not avoid open-heart surgery at all costs um, to and and go with these less invasive procedures because they're 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 not intended for everybody. Yeah, they're not. Um, uh, they they don't provide necessarily excellent outcomes. They're intended like this mitroclip, for example, is intended for people that are too old, too sick to undergo conventional heart surgery. It will it will it will help their problem. 
um, but it won't um, uh, it won't come close to what we can do no. surgically because there'll still be some leakage back into the uh, the receiving chamber from the big pumping chamber. It it doesn't fix the valve. It it ameliorates, if I can use that word, it lessens the amount of leakage and. And some people that can be very critical, especially if they have a damaged heart from a long time and a lot of leakage. It can give that heart a little more oomph to pump. And uh, if you can get another 10% out of your ventricles, your big pumping chambers, that may be what you need to get out and go shopping. It may, it may be good enough. Yeah, it may be good enough. So the, the kind of heart valves that uh, Dr. Barry would put in would be uh, man-made valves that are either made of tissue to sort of uh, mimic or simulate a normal human heart valve, or it could be a mechanical valve, and these are actually little metal discs inside of plastic and, and metal uh, rings that flop up and down. There's a little little axle going through it, and these can be used. These are really uh, more durable, and certainly if someone were young, uh, they might want to consider that rather than a tissue valve. But the tissue valves, I think we're using uh, uh, different parts of our own heart and cattle. And Yeah, we're, the, 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 the two main tissue valves that are used are, are uh, from um, uh, pigs and, and cows. Pigs and cows. Uh, the uh, pig valve is, actually, is an actual pig valve, a uh, pig aortic valve. The cow valve, we call it a cow valve. It actually is not a valve of a cow because that'd be way too big. Uh, it's made from the sac around the heart, and then and then and then we take that tissue and then and and then make create um, a valve out of that tissue. Uh, but both both valves are considered tissue valves. Both valves uh, work equally well, um, last about the same amount of time, which is not forever. Um, the mechanical valves. Uh, actually um, will last forever. However, in, in, in reality, 5 to 10% have to be replaced. But it's not because of the, of the valve failing. It's because of other reasons like infection or blood clot formation yep. or what have you. There are complications anytime you put a foreign uh, body into the uh, – a foreign piece of material into our body, and, and that can be uh, – problematic but for a lot of people this has been just a really great thing the ability to replace their valves the tissue valves are great in people who are older who don't expect to live more than 10 15 years uh, that's that's a good way to go and the mechanical valves if you're young and you're active you may want that now if you're an athlete and you don't want to be on the blood thinners which you have to be on with the mechanical valves at least up until now I don't know if we have anything new out yet or not you may consider a tissue valve with the uh, realization that you'll probably have to replace it in 15 or 20 years. And, uh, but if you're young and you, you know, you're a cyclist like me, young, handsome lad like me, I don't hear anybody agreeing with me out there. No. Okay. We'll leave that alone. <laughs> then you may, then you may want to get a mechanical valve and that you can talk with your surgeon and your cardiologist about, uh, uh, I do have one thing and then we'll go to a little break. I got two things. One, First person to call me after the break with the answer to what does cabbage stand for, uh, I'll give you a $25 gift certificate. And also, I want somebody to tell me if they've ever seen robotic surgery of the heart. And for that, 
you'll get a $25 gift certificate. So the two questions are, what does cabbage mean? And have you ever seen a, or a, photo, a movie reel of robotic surgery of the heart? I'm at 813-289-1860. That's 813-289-1860 and 877-969-8600. I got one little thing before we go to break. A wolf had a bone stuck in his throat, so he hired a crane, a big bird, for a large sum of money to put her head into his mouth and down his throat and dry out the bone. Now, when the crane had extracted the bone and demanded the promised payment, the wolf, grinning and grinding his teeth, said, Why? You have surely already had a sufficient recompense in having been permitted to draw your head out in safety from my mouth and jaws. I could have eaten you. What's the moral? In serving the wicked, expect no reward and be thankful if you escape injury for your pains. This is Dr. Bill. I'll be right back. Look at the way we gotta hide what we're doing. Cause what would they say if they With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Pennsylvania state police officials reaffirming their determination to find the suspect who killed a trooper at a barracks in a remote part of the northeastern end of the state, Eric Freen, now on the FBI's most wanted list. He remains at large. A White House spokesman says President Obama has full confidence in the Secret Service, even after two security issues this weekend. On Friday, a man with a knife scaled the White House fence and got in the front door. Yesterday, a man also tried to gain entry. Nearly 3,000 people are still stuck away from their homes because of an expanding wildfire in Northern California. The blaze is 60 miles east of Sacramento. It has grown to more than 128 square miles, just 10% contained. And a private cargo ship is on its way to pay a call to the International Space Station. The SpaceX Falcon rocketed into the air off Cape Canaveral this morning. This is SRN News. Mitt Romney for president again? Hugh Hewitt could be on that train. I think he knows he can get the nomination. In fact, I think it would be a mortal lock given the way that things have been set up. I support the most electable conservative. And I don't know who that is yet. I'm not endorsing Romney. I'm out there saying I think right now if you objectively said who could beat Hillary, it's Mitt Romney. Objectively. Someone could emerge. The Hugh Hewitt Show. Weeknights at 6. Right before the Black Spear at 9. On Talk Radio 860. WGUL. Will Hillary Clinton's legacy catch up to her? Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. She may be the Democrats' next choice for the White House, but the latest issue of Town Hall magazine tells why her candidacy will be a challenge. There's also an eye-opening look at how liberals twist the language now education and service come together in our military academies. Get fresh, provocative reporting every month, plus a very special offer when you log on to subscribe at townhallmagazine.com. Do it today, townhallmagazine.com. 
Today on Shelly Palmer Digital Living, the recent iPhone 6 and Apple Watch unveiling makes one thing perfectly clear. Apple has no interest in the several billion people who don't own smart devices. And it doesn't care if you can't afford its products or services. Apple is focusing solely on an affluent audience. If you want to buy an iPhone 6 Plus and an Apple Watch, you're going to wind up spending about 5000 bucks. That's 500 to 1000 for the iPhone case and tax, depending on whether you sign up for a new two-year contract or buy the phone outright. Factor in another 2400 bucks for your monthly cell phone bill over two years and 500 to 750 for the Apple Watch and a cool band. Apple hasn't announced full pricing on the Apple Watch yet, so that last number might be a lot higher. But Apple doesn't care about the billions of people who don't have the money for these new gadgets. Instead, it's laser-focused on a fashion-conscious aristocracy that lines up with its developers, advertisers, and its business partners. Or so it seems. Follow me on Twitter at Shelley Palmer or go to ShellyPalmer.com to learn more about it. I'm Shelley Palmer. We see partial sunshine today with a shower or thunderstorm around high 86. Partly cloudy skies tonight with a shower or thunderstorm later on low 74. Variably cloudy tomorrow with a few showers and a thunderstorm high 84 in Tuesday. Expect a blend of clouds and sun with a few showers and a thunderstorm high 84. That's your ranking with the forecast. I'm Benny Thompson for Talk Radio 860 WGU. Dr. Bill, and that was Tommy James and the Shondell, and if you play that song a little longer in, the only sound they can hear is the beating of their hearts, and that's appropriate because we're talking about heart surgery today with Dr. Barry Winton, world famous, well, at least Florida and Indiana and Wisconsin famous, uh, cardiovascular heart surgeon. We've talked a little bit about uh, the coronary artery bypass Oh, by the way, I've got a question. Does anybody know what CABBAGE stands for, the acronym? Give me a call at 813-289-1860. That's 813-289-1860 and 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. Give you a $25 gift certificate. So we've talked about bypassing the arteries. We've talked about heart valve replacement, and I think people have some questions about some of the newer techniques like the laser revascularization. Does that work at all, or is, is that actually being done anywhere? Have you tried it or seen it? Well, um, people come in all the time asking if, if we use the laser, and um, lasers have been used for various things various parts of the body in various different ways uh, for since, since you know for the last 20 years um, and most of the time it really um, doesn't have doesn't doesn't play a role um, sometimes we will use the laser to, to poke holes in the heart uh, to help uh, patients that uh, that have chest pain, but they don't have uh, arteries that are bypassable. Um, that's actually one one role uh, where I see the laser uh, being effective. Um, 
just recently, the laser has, um, I think, been re-approved for use inside coronary arteries. Um, that was done years ago without success. Um, perhaps it'll be better with newer technology, but that's yet to be seen. Uh, we do use the laser um, in blockages of the lower extremity arteries um, with some, some degree of success. Sometimes we use lasers to remove um, pacemaker electrodes in, in hearts. You know, they, after they've been in there, in there for several years, the, the scar tissue develops and, 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 and you can't just pull it out. Um, so sometimes we'll use a laser there. But for the most part, um, you know, people hear about lasers. They want to know about lasers, but they don't play a big role in what we do day in, day out. Now, what we we're talking about is using the laser to put some holes in the heart muscle if you don't have any arteries that can be bypassed. And this has had some success. And the way it works is it creates a channel, and that channel then uh, will actually turn into a, a new blood vessel and carry some blood into the uh, tissues deep in the, in the heart muscle. So, but that's very rare. Not, that's not being used a whole lot. No, it's no. not. I think you can get it at a few of the bigger centers like Birmingham and Emory, but uh, most of the heart surgeons aren't doing that. No, it's called transmyocardial laser revascularization, and um, I've done several cases, but um, I've never been real, real convinced or real happy with, with it, to be honest with you. Yeah, there probably is a placebo effect. You get your chest cracked, and all of a sudden you feel better. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have any more heart reserve or any less uh, blockage of the arteries or any more blood flow or any less uh, pain from, from your heart being uh, short on oxygen. You may have new pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you, you will have some new pain. You'll have new pain. That'll distract you for a while anyway. <laughs> and then the, uh, the thing that I think you guys used to do are the treatments for the rhythm disturbances, but uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the electrophysiologists, those are cardiologists who, who deal just with the electrical conduction of the heart, uh, are taking away some of those procedures. But in, uh, I remember in the old days, you guys used to go into the left atrium and you'd take your knife and, or, or a laser or whatever and you'd, you'd kind of make hash marks up and down and back and forth to stop people from having atrial fibrillation, which is an abnormal heartbeat in the top of the heart. Do you do much of that anymore or has that pretty much been taken away? What you're, what you're referring to is the Cox maze procedure. Yep. Uh, Dr. Cox was a cardiac surgeon, still alive, uh, at uh, Barnes in uh, St. Louis. And uh, he developed uh, the, what's called a cut and sew uh, Cox maze procedure. And this was, this was a procedure to uh, treat atrial fibrillation, an irregular heart rhythm of the heart, where the upper chambers kind of quiver uh, as opposed to contracting. Um, millions and millions of people um, uh, have have atrial fibrillation, um, and it's and it, and it can it can really be quite um, um, disabling um, in some patients. So Dr. Cox uh, did years and years and years of research and investigation and developed this procedure. Today, uh, the the old fashioned cut and sew Cox maze procedure is no longer done. Uh, we now have um, uh, other ways of 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 doing the same thing. We use either radio frequency uh, energy to create burns uh, in the atrium, or we use uh, cryo or, or cold, where we freeze uh, the atrial tissue 
to create uh, scar tissue. And so we, we recreate the maze, basically. And what, what it is is you, you create a maze in the atrium uh, to sort of redirect the electrical uh, pathway or the electrical stimulation uh, in, the, in the atrium. And so now, so we, we do um, the maze procedure a, a lot. Um, if, if we're going in to do a mitral valve operation, and, and often those patients will have uh, concomitant atrial fibrillation, we'll do a maze procedure at the same time. Um, if we're going in to do coronary bypass surgery, which as we uh, discussed earlier, it doesn't involve opening the heart, I usually won't open the heart to do a maze procedure, uh, but there but there are some other things that we can do that don't involve opening the heart to help treat um, their uh, atrial fibrillation. Yeah, and folks, atrial fibrillation is when you have in the upper chambers, usually the left upper chamber, the receiving chamber from the lungs, the atrium, uh, when you have multiple areas that are firing off abnormally, and so you have hundreds of different uh, uh, contractions of little bands of muscle cells and you don't have an efficient contraction just looks like uh, looks like it's quivering or like a bag of worms Uh, and so these procedures are meant to try and isolate some of these abnormal areas of electricity and redirect uh, so that you have uh, a normal squeeze of the upper chambers which uh, is important especially in younger people or athletes or people who are not perfusing their body as well because of this. So it does play a part. Uh, the use of the knife is no longer done. It's now done with higher tech stuff, but basically it's a good procedure. It's very effective, uh, about 80, 80% uh, effectiveness if, if done well and, and uh, in, in a properly selected patient. Yeah, and you, you say, well, 80%. You know what? That's a pretty darn good return on your investment. If you're going in to replace a valve, the mitral valve, uh, which is one of the main valves that we either repair or replace because of damage to it, and that's the valve that leads from the receiving chamber, the left atrium, down into the big pumping chamber, the left ventricle. And, of course, that's going to be very critical because if it's leaking, you're not going to get the blood out of the ventricle and to the body. It's going to go back up into the left atrium and, that thing will it'll distend and you'll have all kinds of problems. Or if the valve is, is blocked and you can't get the blood from the oxygenated blood from your lungs into the left atrium and down to the ventricle because of a blocked artery, I mean a blocked a valve, then that's a big deal. So while you're in there, most of these people are in atrial fibrillation because of the valvular problems, although there are some people as they get older who develop this electrical system wears out after a while and so you do this and it's a really great thing it's helped a lot of people a lot a lot of people i still haven't heard from anybody about cabbage what that is uh, that acronym i got that 25 dollar gift certificate you got- I, I, have, I have a great story for you about cabbage yeah when i when i was a first year med student um i lived in a high-rise apartment building in downtown indianapolis full of uh, all kinds of different students. And um, I was uh, talking to this uh, nursing student who, um, had, uh, who had come home that evening from, from working you know, uh, in, in surgery that day. And, and I asked her what she did, and she said that she, had, that she did a cabbage. And I said, a cabbage? What the heck is a cabbage? And then she told me. 
course, now, you know, I, I, that's what I do for a living. Yep. So. That reminds me of uh, my roommate in medical school. Uh, we all grew up in the same community and went to Holy Spirit Catholic School. And my later-on wife uh, was in his class. He was a few years younger than me. I had laid out, do the hippie thing, and came back and went to medical school. So uh, they were having definitions, and they were supposed to bring their dictionary to school. And my ex-wife forgot her dictionary, and she said, Dennis, what is definitions? I need to know that so I can write it down, the teacher's asking. And he didn't bring his. Actually, she brought hers, and he didn't bring his. And he said, I'll tell you if you lend me your dictionary for the class. So he got her dictionary, <laughs> and she couldn't do any work. <laughs> but I like that one. That, yeah. and he was a character. He was a character. Yeah. Now, some of the other things that you guys can do are transplant hearts. Mm-hmm. That's usually more more in bigger centers where they have a specialized team. Have you done any of those? Have you- oh, of course, yeah. Every uh, cardiac surgeon uh, does transplantation in their training. It's 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 a it's a necessary requirement uh, in training. So, um, you know, uh, cardiac transplants, lung transplants, you do all that in training. Yeah, and there are some instances where you have to transplant both the heart and the lungs, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if there's a lot of disease on the right side of the heart, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of high blood pressure in the lungs because this will not reverse after a period of time. So, you may need a heart lung procedure. And I had a, a young man. A uh, late teenager, a couple of months ago, came in, and he had an abnormal EKG, and uh, my wife thought she heard a murmur, so we did an ultrasound of his heart, an echocardiogram, and he didn't have a septum between the right and left side of the heart. There was no wall. They were freely communicating, and uh, that was pretty dramatic to see. So we sent him on. Now, the caveat there would be if he's had this for a long time and the blood pressure in his lung fields is too high, you can't put in a new heart because you'll you'll die on the table. The, the lungs are not going to, uh, the blood vessels are not going to relax and let that heart work. You go into heart failure and you die. So he may end up needing, and I haven't heard yet, but he may very well end up needing a heart and lung transplant. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully he hasn't gotten that far along. And we do measure the pressures on both sides of the heart, which gives us indirect measurements of the pressure in the in the arteries and the in the lungs. We can even float a little catheter out into the artery that goes to the lungs and check pressures there. So there's a number of things that we can do to see if you're a candidate for both heart lung or just heart or just a repair. Well, you know you. Um you were asking, you know, about about newer technologies and so forth uh, in, in heart surgery. Yep. Um, well, uh, short of a transplant uh, nowadays, especially that this is this is one uh, area that's that's really big right now is uh, ventricular assist devices or the artificial heart. Oh yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of people, I'm sure, probably remember the the old uh, Jarvik. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the technology nowadays is so much better. Uh, uh, you you can get uh, an artificial heart as what we call destination therapy, where where that's all you're going to get. You know that's 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 your treatment is is an artificial heart, um, or you can get it as a bridge to transplantation. So, um, but either way, these devices have gotten smaller, uh, better. Uh, you can you can wear basically like a little pack 
uh, which which has the uh, uh, you know the, the workings uh, in it, and walk around and and live a, a pretty darn good life. Yeah, and these things are so small now that you can actually get get the the pump itself inside the chamber, and just have a lot of the electricity and the the motherboard, the intelligence to drive it. Yeah, the the, bat- the batteries. Uh, yeah. Batteries are, are, are the biggest problem. They're the biggest problem, and well, they're the biggest problem in everything: electric cars, uh, right. all devices. You know, if we would <clears throat> loosen up a little bit on the use of nuclear energy, nuclear material, we can create batteries that will last a lot longer using small doses of uh, small amounts of nuclear material inside of uh, more traditional battery material. But uh, I think that the the public and the government are still too afraid, which is a shame. Uh, Maybe that will change with time, and things are changing so fast. These yeah. little uh, ventricular assist devices, they actually make a kind of a whirring sound, you know, high-pitched. And uh, the thing that I've heard from people that's the hardest to get used to is that sound all the time. You can, <laughs> but I guess after a while, it's like anything. It becomes background noise. Right. Well, I, you know, uh, patients uh, complain of, of mechanical heart valves clicking all the time, oh, too. Yeah. And I always kind of just joke with them. I say, well, listen, if it ever stops clicking, just be sure and call 911. <laughs> That's right. You know, <laughs> if it stops clicking, the rest of the trip's pretty well shot. Uh, you know, that's what I tell patients when they say, do I, need a, do I need this surgery? Do I need this test for my heart? Do I need the nuclear stress test? Do I need an ultrasound? You only get one heart. And unfortunately, it seems to pretty much... De- Determine everything else, whether or not it's working. you got two kidneys, so you can lose one. You can even lose two, and you get dialysis. Uh, you got two lungs. Brain, brain surgeons say the brain's the most important. Well, that's only because they don't know what they're talking about, obviously. <laughs> they're... Now, I used to ask myself, why on earth would anybody go into neurosurgery? Because when I was a kid in medicine, every case was six to eight hours. You know, they'd break halfway through, throw up a sterile towel over the brain, Go outside and have a bite of a sandwich and, uh, you know, a sip of uh, orange juice or whatever. I even knew one guy. He ran to the bank because he had to get some money deposited and came back and wow. then rescrubbed and went back in. But the neurosurgeons, I, it's changed a lot now is everything. But uh, I just could not understand why anybody would want to spend six or eight hours at an OR table. Yeah. That's a long time. I mean, even you guys don't like that, I don't think. No, we don't, uh, but it, it happens. It happens, and I'm sure with the with the heart transplants, there's a little bit of time involved because you have to take the old heart out, put the new one in, and there's transportation. But it, it probably doesn't take as long as people think. The operation itself is actually uh, quite easy. It, yeah, it's four it's four big connections, you know, um, as opposed to coronary bypass surgery. Where you're, you know, sewing these little little arteries and little veins together. So, yeah, technically far more challenging than a heart transplant. Yeah, if you think about it, folks. If you have big arteries, it's easier to see what you're sewing on. Mm-hmm. There's only four things that you have to attach. You got the right atrium. You got the aorta. You got the pulmonary arteries and the pulmonary veins coming back, and it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not bad. We're getting close to the end of the show. Nobody called in with the. Uh, with an answer, but uh, cabbage stands for coronary artery bypass grafting, and that's the acronym that we use. It's been a really interesting show for me. I, I hope you guys have enjoyed it too, and I want to thank Dr. Barry Winton for coming on today. 
he's supposed to be making rounds, but I took him away from his new partners and made him come over here. So, Barry, thank you. Thank Pleasure you. having you. Thank Had you. a lot of fun today. Uh, and I wanted to tell you guys, I am at WGUL 860 AM. My office is at uh, Bay Area Medical in St. Pete, 727 6411 And we do have generic Viagra uh, to sell for those people of the practice a little bit cheaper than what you get in this so give me a give me a shout thanks chris love everybody see y'all next week this is dr bill your radio md And how many dollars would you want to pay for it? How much would you give for the beautiful painting? Here would go. Hundred is the bid to buy. I'm going to get two hundred dollars. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon intelligence agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.